Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and again, Cindy is off this week. She's uh, down in Orlando, I believe, shooting some video for Golf Pass. So she's down there working her little buns off, uh, and we'll be back next week to join me as a co-host here on the Women of Golf Show each week. Um, but I'm super excited. I've got a couple of great guests this morning. We're going to start things off here in just a moment with our latest uh, LPJ Epson Tour winner, Miranda Wang, uh, who won the past uh, week's IOA Championship. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by uh, one of the board members from the Golf Heritage Society and also an author and writer, uh, Taba Dale, will be joining me on the second half of the show. So I hope you stick uh, tuned for that. Uh, it should be a good interview as well. All right, let me introduce uh, Miranda, and then I'll bring her out. Uh, she was born in Beijing, China, but currently resides in Pebble Beach, California, uh, during the summers at least, and then she's off in Vegas uh, working her little buns off, uh, earning her uh, weekly paycheck, if you will, on the Epson Tour. Uh, she began playing uh, this great game at age eight. Uh, she was also an ACC honor roll selection in multiple years and also had a double major in public policy and psychology uh, at, um, sorry, yes, psychology at Duke University, where she also played on the women's golf team before turning pro. Uh, she also finished first on the women's all pro tours money list and, uh, then went through a tough time at the LPGA's Q series in 2022, which helped earn her 2023 status on the Epson tour. And as I mentioned, uh, she got her first win there, uh, this past week at the IOA championship. So please welcome uh, my first guest this morning, uh, LPGA Epson tour player, Miranda Wang. Good morning, Miranda. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. That's good. So um, congratulations, first and foremost, on your win. Uh, that's got to be pretty exciting for you. Thank you very much. It is. Um, I was still being very excited yesterday, but now we're already in Arizona and preparing for the next tournament. Yeah, that's right. It's that's old news now. Last week, that's that's the past. Now we got to move on with the future. So, but we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the win that you just had at uh, at the Iowa in, in just a moment. But I wanted to talk to you because, as I mentioned to you off air, one of the things that was very very interesting, and I didn't mention um, in the opening uh, credits here, um, that you actually had a, a a neck injury when you went through the Q school. Uh, Q series rather for the LPGA. How did that happen? Was that just through play, through whatever, or did you injure it some other way? And how did you manage to navigate through many rounds at the Q series with a neck injury? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we uh, definitely can talk about it. So that's uh, something that happened during uh, be- during the practice round uh, two days before. Q series, uh, not Q series, the stage two started. Um, I was uh, doing my normal routine. I was playing, I was playing on the driving range normally, and then I started my uh, normal practice round. And on the second hole of my practice round, I just felt something like really sharp pain in my neck. Uh, it mm-hmm. almost felt like cramps and. All of a sudden, I just couldn't swing. I couldn't take a back swing. Couldn't uh, swing, and putting was a problem too. Um, so I was really shocked because I know that uh, stage two is really important. Um, 
playing through stage two will give me absentor status. If I don't play it, if I withdraw from it, I will not have any tour to play this year. So I, at that point, I was really shocked. I was um, a little sad. And then uh, very luckily, there was a therapist at um, uh, the Plantation Country Club where we played stage two tournaments. Uh, mm-hmm. And the therapist, his name is Francisco. Um, I'm very grateful that I met him, and he helped me to do massage every day um, since I had the pain. We did massage um, two days before the tournament, and I stopped playing. I I just like I pretty much stayed in bed um, before I tee off on the in in the morning of round one. Um, at that point, I didn't know what's gonna, what's gonna happen. You know, I just I I did my best to be able to full swing, um, but still in the morning I had to uh, take some painkillers just to mm. help me <laughs> to be mentally strong yeah. and then uh, help my muscles to be a little more a little more reflex. Uh, um, but yeah, that was that was a little hard. Um, but also, well, I know that, that uh, injuries and dealing with injuries is just part of the game. It's what athletes have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, you know, we, we've had, as I was starting to tell you uh, when we were off air, you know, we've had a number of young ladies like yourself that have come on uh, from the Epson tour. And some of them have had wrist injuries. Some of them have had an ankle or foot injuries and things like that. And that's certainly not easy to deal with uh, an inter- any injury. Uh, but particularly a neck injury because that is really directly involved in your motion. And as like you said, putting becomes a real challenge because your, you know, your head is down um, and, uh, you know, to, to keep your eyes over the putt. And that can be very – were you able to find out um, from the therapist or, you know, through your own investigations what – first, what caused it? Obviously, you were swinging and maybe tweaks it. Was it a nerve injury? like a pinched nerve or was it just like a soft tissue injury? Were you able to, f- able to find out what it was or at this point, I guess it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, well, yeah, at that point, um, the therapist thought it was a pinched nerve, as you said. And right. um, I personally, I had no idea what's going on. And I was really nervous. I don't know if it's something big that could impact my future. Um, and, right. But uh the most important thing for me at that point, not gonna, I'm not gonna withdraw from stage two. That's something. That's right. the one thing I told myself. I will not withdraw. I have to play 72 holes there. I don't care about the results, but I have to finish the tournament mm-hmm. so I get some status in Epson Tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's um, and, you yeah. know for people. Yeah, what I was just gonna okay. very quickly, and then I'll let you continue. What I was gonna say, you know, what people don't realize is this is your, and I hate to put it this way, this is your job. I mean, this is your livelihood. Um, so people might say, well, you know, why don't you just take that event off and, and you know, get on the next or something. But this is a qualifying uh, series. So in order to get status, as you said, you've got to play it. Whether you finish, you know, top, bottom, what have you, you've got to play it. Otherwise, you don't have status, um, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So it, it's, di- yeah, so... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but go. I just wanted to mention that because I don't think a lot of people listening to the show may realize exactly what's involved, uh, you know, in something like that. So uh, go ahead and finish your, your earlier thought. Oh, no, I was just going to say um, at a point with, uh, we were just guessing what's going on. There's no x-ray. There's no MRI for me at that point, and it was already during the tournament. And, yeah, we just had to force it through, and then – after the tournament, we can find out what's going on. But, um, well, now we know that we I played through stage two. I made it to the Q series, and Q series was just like 10 days away from after, 10 days later mm-hmm. after um, the stage two. And we, drove, I, we actually drove straight from Florida to Alabama where we play the Q series, the eight-round tournament. So during mm-hmm. these 10 days and throughout stage three, we didn't do anything uh, about my neck. I was just re- stretching, relaxing every day and not knowing what's e- what exactly is going on. 
Yeah. yeah. It, uh, I, by the way, I was at the Q series in, in Alabama. I was at that, that uh, event. I was there the previous year as well. So I was actually very glad to hear that you guys uh, had come back again uh, this past uh, winter uh, to, to finish up the Q series there. And it's always fun to watch you, you guys uh, warm up and then get out there and play. So, um, and, and I'm assuming you haven't had any, um, uh, any further issues since that, that uh, time last year with your neck? Like everything seems to be, I guess, back to normal, as it were? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did go to see a more professional therapist um, who is an expert in the, in the golf and sports in general. Um, mm-hmm. We did take x-ray, not MRI yet. Um, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with the bones, which is a good news. It's only the right. soft tissue, muscle. It's probably we think now it's probably because I was pretty nervous before going into stage right. two, and I was a lot. I was hitting hundreds of balls on the driving range every day, and <laughs> I think that's probably why it got really tight. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I was a little mentally stressed at that point, which caused you know, something like a cramp to happen. Yeah, but, and, and yeah. understandable. Yeah, very understandable. Again, I don't think that the listeners probably fully appreciate what you young ladies go through uh, in preparation for any event, whether it's a, a practice round or whether it's an actual tournament event or part of a, you know, Q series, what have you. There's a lot of pressure because you're, you know, you're, you're a lot's riding on, on the outcome. And uh, so it's understandable. And I think that's part of the reason, too, why you see um, so many of you have various different injuries, as I mentioned, some, you know, wrist injuries and ankle and that sort of thing, because, you know, you're out there every day. You know, if you're not playing, you're working on your game. So your body's taking, you know, for lack of better words, a lot of punishment every single day. So um, that was very fortunate that you had uh, that gentleman there to, to help you. Um, yes. at the, the, uh, the first of it, uh, he was obviously able to, uh, to help you through. And, uh, so you may, you may have to send him a portion of your winnings from last week just to thank him for, or send him a little gift or something and say, by the way, thank you. Um, but, uh, so let's talk about your win, uh, last week. So how did you feel going into the event? I mean, obviously you prepare a lot as, as you all do, but what were your feelings? Cause this is the third event of the season, uh, that you were playing in and you've already won. So that had to be pretty good. How was your your thought process going in? How did you feel about your game overall? And mm-hmm. what was your sort of overall game plan? Yeah. So going into the last tournament that I won, uh, interestingly, I missed cut the two events in the first two events. Um, so going into the last event, I actually I was not I didn't expect myself to win. I was confident about my game in general. I know I have a good swing. I know I'm putting well. But because I missed cuts in the, in the past two weeks, I was not knowing how my scoring is going to look like. I, know, I don't know if my score this time could reflect all my hard work, all my skills. Um, I was a little sad. Uh, I was not feeling very well, actually. Um, <laughs> but then, um, you know, golf is our job. I have to do my best mm-hmm. every day. So I, um, before going into this tournament, I told myself, okay, let's forget about the first two tournaments. I know I'm playing well. It might be bad luck. It might be something else that caused my knee cut. It's not my game. Uh, I know my game is strong. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just did, did my best to stay focused on the golf course, just focus on every shot. And I tell myself that I'm able to hit every shot well and um yeah i just stay really focused on everything and um try not to think about the results uh it might sound simple but you know like being simple might it's it's not very easy on the golf course (laughs) right i can attest to that um yeah you have to really you know obviously you do a lot of work and a lot of preparation uh going into all of the events um but you have to have a certain amount i think of you know, you, you to, in order to reduce the stress of, of playing, you have to just sort of go in and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I know I'm ready, I know I can do this, 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 and this. Um, I've just mm-hmm. got to learn to relax now. So, what do you do to help yourself relax? I mean, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, you know you're good enough to play. You know you can hit great golf shots. You know you can make great putts. 
but how do you know? What, what's, what do you say to yourself when you're out there and things are, whether they're going well or not, what do you say to yourself to keep yourself calm throughout the round? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I found out the answer through, through years of playing golf. I think um, for me, um, I, I feel like there is in, enough details on the golf course that I need to pay attention to um, if I focus enough. Um, preparing the shot, I actually don't have time to to be nervous to think about the results. Like for example, mm-hmm. have what 40 seconds before you hit a shot, and there's wind, there's slope, there's club choosing. You have to choose the right club. You have to talk to your caddy. Uh, you have to see see the wind change if it changes over the the next couple seconds, uh, and you have to think about the pin position, the green, and there's a lot of things going on before every shot. And, yes, golf does take, like, four and five hours to play, but throughout these five hours, you're always thinking. Like, you're always thinking about your shot, your swing. I have to think about my grip, my stance, aiming, everything. <laughs> yeah, I just go through all these almost like a routine before, like, pre-shot routine. I go through all these things. Now I have to hit the shot. Now I don't, don't have time to think about anything else. <laughs> Um, if I find myself in the in outside of the box, if I'm, I find myself thinking about like uh, winning, I'm losing. Winning might give me something. Losing might cost me something. I will just pull myself back and think about okay, what's on the golf course? What's this hole? Um, yeah, what this hole looks like? And what this shot looks like? And I will just come back to focus on on the game. Yeah, and, and you have to do that. You know, at, at your level, you have to stay focused. Mm-hmm. You can't allow outside distractions. What do you think mm-hmm. you learned playing on the women's team at Duke? Um, what were some of the lessons that you got there? Not so much about your physical play, as I said. I mean, that obviously, you know, to even get to that level, you've got to be a good player. But what did you take? What was your takeaway from Duke um, as, as a member of the women's golf team that's helping you now as you play out on the professional tours? So being on the Duke women's golf team is definitely one of the best, best experience so far in my life. And um, the number one takeaway from that team was just working hard, just pure hard work. Everybody <laughs> on that team at that time, um, they were really competitive players. Um I was really lucky. I was on the same team with Leona McGuire, who is now on the LPGA and already won her first LPGA tournament. Hopefully more are coming for her. I was on the team with her. And then we had um, Anna Velas, who is also an LPGA player, and Gina and Jaravi, who just got their LPGA status um, this year. So, like, we had really good players, and they know they are becoming professional players. So they're doing like serious practice every day. And the most, the most competitive golf I played in in college golf is probably our um, the qualifying rounds before every tournament. Mm-hmm. So there's only, right. for college, there's only five players traveling every weekend for the tournament. So we had to play um, the qualifying rounds with our own teammates. We're all good friends, right. but we're really competitive on the golf course. And everybody practiced like hundred um, percent effort. It's really impressive. Yeah, I can imagine that would be very challenging because you are, you know, you're friends with these other young women. Um, did you have to apologize a lot after when you beat somebody on, on that qualifying tournament? Really. Say, hey, I'm really sorry <laughs> that I beat you, but you know, uh, it is what it is, right? No, that that's fantastic. With- I, I think it's. <laughs> I, I listen. If you got onto the the Duke uh, women's team, you've got to be a good player, uh, whether you play every week or not. Um, you know, whether you manage to get through the qualifying tournament, uh, that adds a little bit. But you know, that's good though. It's good practice because you know you you've got to you know sort of get those juices going, if you will, in order to play out on professional golf. I mean, there you know, there's no second place. I mean, there is, but you know, you, you're out there to win. You're not out there to finish second or third or, or fifth. I mean, obviously that's going to happen, but um, so, 
so you got into this tournament, the Iowa that you won last week and feeling pretty good, had a good mindset going in and that. Was there any point at the tournament, um, I, I'm not looking at all the stats, that's why I'm asking you this, where you felt, okay, this is mine to win. Was there a point that that happens where this is mine to win, everything's you know firing on all cylinders, however you want to put it, that said to you, okay, you know what, if I just keep doing this, I think I have a really good chance of raising that that uh, trophy at the end of the at the end of the tournament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There actually was um, a period of time that I felt this is going to the right direction, which is um, the front line of my second round. It might sound like it happened pretty early in the tournament. Yes, it did. I uh, shot 30, which is a six under on the front line. Um, so be, uh, before second round of my first round, I shot three under, which was uh, three shots off lead. Uh, leader was six under after first round. And second round, I shot six under on the front line, which got me to nine under after 27 holes. And at that point, I felt, okay, this is, I don't know what other players are doing, but I felt like it's probably pretty close to the leader. I, I didn't know I'm, I was leading. It turned out at that point I was already leading the tournament. Um, but at that point I, I thought, okay, oh, I'm, I'm probably pretty close to the leader. And the back night, if I just birdie more, you know what? I might have a chance to win this weekend. Um, yeah, that's when I felt um, I, have a, I, I really have a good chance to, to try to go for it. <laughs> Well, and that's good. I mean, I think you have to have, uh, you know, and I don't look at that as, as sounding arrogant or saying, well, you know, I'm here it's in the second round and yeah, I feel really good. I'm going to win. I think that's, that's a good thing. I think you have to have that confidence. Um, mm-hmm. because if you don't, if you say, well, I may or may not. And I like the fact that you're not really paying attention to what everybody else is doing. You're focusing on your own game. I mean, I'm assuming you're not really, I mean, you may occasionally sneak a peek, but you're not really a scoreboard watcher. Would that be fair to say? No, I, I don't really watch. Yeah. And, and see, that serves you well because I think then the nerves start clicking. You say, well, I'm three shots back and I've got to do this now. And there's only four holes left to play. Um, so that puts added pressure on. Uh, what do you do besides you know, warming up and practice rounds and that. What other physical activities do you, do you have a sort of a workout routine that you do to sort of get yourself in shape and keep yourself uh, physically fit? Uh, what other things do you do to prepare for, for events? Um, so during, I only do workouts during off weeks, the weeks that we don't play golf. Um, mm-hmm. I only do workouts like three times a week normally and then when we play in tournaments I do stretches in the morning and then roll on foam rollers uh, every after every round that's just keep health <laughs> keep, keep myself right. in good health and uh, I don't really do any other workouts it's already a lot <laughs> going on yeah mm-hmm. no doubt well and you you know, you're playing and obviously walking around the course, so that keeps you, uh, your cardio going and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Why professional golf? What was it about golf that appealed to you at a very early age and made, and when was the turning point for you that you said, this is what I want to do? This was my goal. This is what I want to, uh, obviously, ultimately, you want to get out on the LPJ Tour uh, permanently, but um, why professional golf? What was it about the game that, that appealed to you and made you uh, decide, okay, this is something I want to do? So, firstly, I was a, uh, I was a very curious kid when I was young. Um, so, being on the golf course, for me, it was just very happy. And because the golf, golf course doesn't play the same every day, sometimes it's, um, the sky is bright, sometimes it gets gloomy, sometimes get gets windy. I think, like, for me, it's just trying different things every day and I I felt really excited um, and then um, my first coach who is a used to be a Korean pro um, now he doesn't teach anymore um, uh, when I was at age eight eight years old um, I just suddenly improved a lot 
um, the first tournament I played, I I think I still remember I shot 140 in one round, and one year later I was shooting in the 80s. So it's like mm-hmm. a big improvement in one year, and everybody, including my parents, my coach, thought, oh, you really have talent, and I was happy to hear them say, oh, you have talent. Um, <laughs> That's how I decided to play. I think, oh, I have talent, and I like being on the golf course. Yeah. Who introduced you to the game? Um, I'm assuming your parents? Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandpa is a big golf fan, and he still plays golf every day now. He's um, in turning 80 next year. Um, wow. Still playing golf every day, <laughs> almost every day. And, yeah, my golf uh, – my grand, I, the first round of golf, I, I played with my grandpa. And then my dad used to play golf. Now he's um, uh, more focused on my golf. No, he doesn't play right. golf. Mm-hmm. Well, more than likely, probably because you beat him at some point, I would imagine. <laughs> so he's probably saying, I'm going to be her cheerleader now instead of a competitor against her. So, And I imagine your grandpa is probably a big fan as well. Um, what would you say if you had, if you were in front of a group of very young girls right now uh, who obviously have some interest in golf, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them if you had, a, a, you know, say a group of 30, 40 young girls, um, much younger than yourself, who played a little bit or have maybe been introduced to the game uh, at some level, what would you say to them if they expressed an interest in doing what you do, what advice would you give them? I would tell them that golf is very fun. Like I said, it's, it's played different every day. Uh, but at the same time, I would, I would tell the girls it really takes some courage and takes a lot of effort to be a professional golfer, but golf is for everyone to enjoy. Um, just enjoy being on the golf course and be happy. And if you find yourself in the future that you, can, you want to play pro, be mentally prepared that you need to work really, really hard. What's the most challenging part of professional golf for you? Um, for me, I'm actually fine with traveling, which is um, happens every week. I'm fine with traveling. I'm fine with walking, playing golf day after day. The most challenge um, is, is injury. Like, I've had multiple injuries throughout the years. That's the most Mm. difficult part because you never know what the injury is going to do to you when it started hurting. Like, when you're playing well and you start all of a sudden getting an injury, you don't know what the season looks going to look like to you. And if it's going to affect your career, I always get nervous (laughs) when I have injury. And um, the recovery process is also hard because you need to take a rest sometimes and um, not playing golf for days and even for months you can't play golf and after all these um, they also have to rebuild your game that I think that's the most challenging part but it's gonna happen um, well it happens pretty often it's not an unusual case on, on the tour yeah it's I think at some point every every player is going to have uh, some injury, some unfortunately have had more severe over the years. But, uh, yeah, it's inevitable when you're playing at that level and that much. Um, even as you said, even during a practice, uh, you know, you can tweak something here and there. But um, one nice thing uh, about playing on tours, there's usually a, a uh, therapist of some kind uh, within close proximity that you can go and, and get some of those uh, things worked out. And obviously you were very fortunate to, to have that uh, option as well so you're playing this week uh i believe you said arizona is that correct yep we're in tucson arizona okay so another hot uh climate and um i know that you said you uh off air you practice uh and work on your game in las vegas so you're used to the heat a little bit the dry uh, climate um Mm -hmm. but you're going in this week uh, off the back of a win what are you going to do differently or anything differently this week than you did uh, previous week? Well, the, I wouldn't say I would do anything different, but I definitely last week's win helped to boost my confidence and um, 
now I'm confident that I can shoot good scores. I would just, um, I think I will be a little bit more, more aggressive on the golf course, to be honest. I don't disagree with you. I think that's a good strategy. Well, Miranda, I want to thank you and congratulations again on your win at Iowa. I hope you win again so you can come back and, and uh, speak with me and, and uh, hopefully Cindy will be uh, able to join me at that point uh, the next time you come around uh, as the uh, winner. Maybe it might even be next week. Who knows if you win this week. So, um, But congratulations okay. again. And uh, more importantly, I think the most important thing is go out and have fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me this morning. It was a pleasure and honor and good luck this week. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that was Miranda Wang, winner of the 2023 Epson Tours Iowa Championship. Uh, I believe that was in California, and she's now in Tucson, Arizona, at the next event, uh, hoping to uh, get another trophy that she can raise up. But uh, we're going to take a quick message, and then I will uh, be joined by my next guest, uh, Tava Dale, and I'll introduce her in just a moment, but we'll be right back from a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, and you're joining me, Ted Odorico, on the Women of Golf show this morning. And uh, very excited to have uh, my next guest. Uh, have not had the opportunity to interview her yet, but um, this will be the first time, but I'm looking forward. Uh, her name is uh, Taba Dale. She is the owner of Taba Inc. and also a board member of the Golf Heritage Society, as well as a writer and author. Uh, she took up the game of golf uh, relatively late in life, uh, not having any family or childhood exposure. Uh, she realized that her goal to be a decent golfer was not materializing after becoming a decent tennis player uh, within 10 years. Uh, but she found uh, if she focused on the aspect of being in nature while playing golf, a whole new world opened up to her. And she began writing about golf and has never stopped uh, beginning with short stories and now entire books, uh, Summer in Ireland, uh, to name one. And as I mentioned, she had become a board member of the Golf Heritage Society. Please welcome uh, my next guest, uh, Taba Dale. Good morning, Taba. How Good are you? Morning. Good morning, Ted. Um, so excited to be on with you. Sorry Cindy isn't joining us, but um, great honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, she sends her apologies. She's actually shooting, uh, has been shooting some video for Golf Pass. Uh, she's an LPGA professional, so they have her uh, doing some video and other work. And then she was also doing a boot camp down in Orlando as well, uh, her and her husband, Alan, so, uh, who was a PJ professional, a lifetime member. But uh, she sends her best, and uh, hopefully uh, I, won't, uh, I, won't be, I won't be too hard on you <laughs> on the interview. <laughs> But no, so I, I actually, before we came on, I watched a video, uh, it was on YouTube that you had an interview back in 2013, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, um, uh, about your, your book, Summer in Ireland, and talking about your, your journey there and, and your love of the game and, and so forth. And I found it very interesting because you live in uh, Scottsdale, am I correct, Arizona? Yes, yes, I do. And what was really interesting, and again, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, you, you talked about the, the, the differences, obviously, between the lush green rolling hills of, of Ireland and the uh, very dry desert feel of Arizona. But uh, I found it very interesting. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to go back a bit because, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the intro, um, you took up golf relatively late. Um, and you didn't, you, you know, as many of us that were exposed by our parents or what have you very early on, um, you didn't have that, so you sort of did this on your own. What prompted you to take up the game? What appealed to you about the game uh, that caused you to sort of say, hey, you know what, I want to give this a try? Well, back in the late 80s, um, I lived in the Potomac, Maryland area, and I built a house at Avenel, which is next door to Congressional. 
famous for hosting the Open, uh, I mean the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open a few times. And I was I used to jog back then, and I would go out on the cart path early in the morning with the dew and in the evening with the deer. And I would be looking at all this beauty, all the lush green grass, and and I knew that golfers got to go out there, but I didn't. And I thought, I want to be out there one day. That's what I want to be doing. I want to be out there. (laughs) So um, (laughs) about 10 years later, (laughs) it seems like I took a lesson, and I didn't even own a single golf club. So uh, I hit a seven iron the first time I hit it well, and the ball went in the air. I was hooked. Yeah, it's... That's all it takes, and it's funny that you mention that because I don't think I've ever spoken. Um, obviously, I know you, you've been listening to uh, the early part of the show with, with my guest, Miranda Wang, who plays, obviously, professional golf um, and battles it out each week on the tour. Um, not everybody has you know, the same exposure as she did. She started playing at age eight. But everybody always says the same thing. You know, I went out there, struggled a little bit. You know, some had better luck than others. But all it took was one really good shot, whether it be a seven iron or what you know, some other club, and that's all it took. That is, well, I'm just curious to get somebody's perspective. I, I'm, you know, I'm a professional golfer. I'm not, I don't play on the tour, but I teach golf, so I understand a little bit more. But I want to get from your perspective. Why do you think that is? What is it about that one well-struck shot that seems to get us all hooked? It was a sense of pure, absolute joy. I felt it was intoxicating. There is something about con- that when you make that connection, and, and I, because of my experience playing tennis, um, I knew there's something called a sweet spot of the yes. tennis racket. And when it happened for me with a golf club, and it doesn't happen very, o- very often now, <laughs> but when it does, I don't know what it is. It's like a vibrational thing. Your whole body, you feel so, you feel, you just feel so in tune. You imagined something, and I think it does have a lot to do with imagination, playing golf, you know, as a, uh, you know, whether you're amateur or professional, you know, if you, if you can imagine a shot and then you can execute the shot, it's just intoxicating. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and again, it, you know, it's funny because as a teacher professional, when I'm on the range with somebody and I see others, you know, up and down the range that are struggling and whatnot, and then they'll hit that one shot and you're thinking after watching them for, you know, 30, 40 minutes that, you know, this person's not coming back. And then they'll hit that one shot and it's, you know, they'll say to their partner, well, I'll see you next week or I'll see you, you know, next Thursday <laughs> or something like that. And you're sitting there thinking to themselves, you know, why? Um, you know, the, they must be in, you know, crazy or something, but uh, you're right. I think there is a certain exhilaration, and I think it's the challenge. What what has been the cha- I mean, other than obviously the physical part of, of hitting those great shots, what's been the physical uh, or what's been some of the challenges of the game for you? What, what, what do you really enjoy, and what gives you the most frustration? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I love traveling to golf destinations. I'm also very uh, fortunate. My partner's Irish and uh, built a house in County Clare on the West Coast near La Hinch. So I get to live there in the summer. And, um, and I've learned a lot about the culture of golf in Ireland, Scotland, and outside of the U.S. There's a whole golf culture that we don't know about. So I really enjoy writing about that. And traveling to golf destinations, um, we just came back from New Zealand and Australia, and it's really, really fascinating, you know, to go to a course for the very first time, whether it's a trophy course or not so well known, and you experience, you have this golf experience. And I also, when I write about golf, I also talk about golf courses being living works of art. So mm-hmm. being, an, being an art dealer, being an art collector, I don't know. Somehow I connected the dots and I realized there's so much more to playing golf. Part of it is the being in nature, getting your eyeballs off the screen, getting out of the office, getting your body, moving your mm-hmm. body. But then being on a course 
that's maybe it's designed by a famous architect maybe it's not you know maybe it's the old course in St. Andrews and it's been there 600 years but you get to experience it's the experience of um you're you're in this playground and it's and that, and that too is kind of intoxicating to see mm-hmm. you know to to see the to see and feel the terrain of the ground and my newest book is called Terroir of Golf and Terroir is a French word I borrowed from the world of winemaking but it's the terroir it's the complete uh, climate and atmosphere to be in that it's just so it's so different from sitting in your office and that's also part of the frustration (laughs) I sit in my office too much I don't get to practice or play enough so Oh my God, Ted! It's I don't know how I'm ever going to be decent at this game. I just have to get my joy some other way. I think once you come to the realization, and even and this hopefully will give you some comfort. Even the best of the best will tell you, and there's some obviously some great players, both male and female, uh, out there. Uh, you will never master this game. You will you will go to the you know the world beyond, never mastering this game. But that's the fun of it. It's a continual challenge. And, you know, I think that's why so many people like it. It mimics life in so many ways. If you really boil it down, if you think about how we deal with, you know, adversities and things in our lives and how we navigate those challenges, it's very similar to how we do in the golf course. So if you can, you know, even if you're not the greatest golfer, but if you can learn how to navigate some of those challenges, it can help you in in your life's challenges and vice versa. And I think that's one of the appeals that a lot of people like about the game more so than anybody. It's not just a sport. Um, it's filled with a lot of challenges. So as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you've become a member of the Golf Heritage Society, and you're actually uh, a board member as well. Um, that had to be uh, sort of an eye-opener as well because there's so much history that they deal with of the game. And I'm assuming, obviously, until you really got involved, um, you didn't know a lot of the history, uh, certainly as much as maybe you found out now. Tell us a little bit about your experience there, what you sort of uncovered, maybe that you didn't know before uh, with your experience with uh, with the GHS. Well, ironically, <clears throat> um, back in the back around 2002, three, four, and five, I was researching and writing what I was calling back then a TV documentary, and I called it Legacy of the Links. So. I, the more you know, the more, the more I learned about the history of the game, the more I wanted to learn. I had just had this insatiable desire to learn more. So, by the time I was invited by our president, Dr. Bern Bernacki, to be a board member mm-hmm. on the Golf Heritage Society, I was kind of a, I was like a minor historian. <laughs> but then. Oh. When I was invited to be on the board, and I'm so thrilled, I was then, I still am, first board member, first woman board member. It's really, you know, quite an honor. And then mm-hmm. I met all these other board members who were, you know, golf enthusiasts, capital G, capital E. And then when mm-hmm. I I got to know more of the members, you know, the, the Golf Heritage Society started out over 50 years ago being called the mm-hmm. Golf collectors society and it's grown and evolved and become the golf heritage society and there are many many historians and i when i i felt like oh my god all these kindred spirits i'm in my element when i when Mm -hmm. i got to know more of the members and 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 when i attended my first annual convention in cleveland several years back I was just like a kid in a candy shop. I just <laughs> it's so much fun. The the annual conventions are so much fun. The next one's coming up in October in Lexington and um mm-hmm. it's October eleven to fourteen, I think. Lexington, Kentucky. Yes it is. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna be Lexington, Kentucky, October eleventh, fourteenth of this year, uh the GHS National Convention. Uh lots of uh fascinating presentations. Um and as I understand, last year they had several people from the USGA, um, and they uh, talked a little bit about the new facility that's going in uh, Pinehurst. Pinehurst. Uh, they're going to re- yeah, they're going to relook at. Go ahead. 
so exciting, so exciting. Um, yeah, uh, Hillary Kronheim um, and some of her colleagues were uh, at, at our convention this year in Indianapolis, and they came down from the USGA in Far Hills, New Jersey, and they showed us renderings of what the new facility is going to look like, and uh, they're they're shooting to be open to have this new facility open before the um, U.S. Open is played in Pinehurst, and mm-hmm. it's so fantastic to not only see you know because I I love art I'm a collector I love museums but to see that there's so much opportunity for women in so many different aspects of the golf industry the golf world and you just touched on a perfect example. Hillary, senior director of the USGA Museum. You have authors, you have artists, you have architects. You have so, there's so many different avenues open to women in the world of golf, mm-hmm. and that's that's another thing that excites me. Yeah, actually, this week, Thursday, in fact, I have another show called Golf Talk Live, and Linda Harto is going to be my guest. She's been on a number of times over the years, and I'm sure you're familiar with her. Uh, and her paintings and, and just an incredible oh, uh, artwork. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, she would she, be, you know, she would be, you know, she's at the top of the, she's the pinnacle. She, she is, I mean, she made golf art into fine art. She, she's a great mm-hmm. lady. Yeah. She's uh, been on a number of times. She's going to be on again this week. Um, I'll have her back and we'll talk about some of the, latest uh, things that she's doing but you're you're exactly right so i I mentioned you know we would dip into uh, ireland a little bit i know you've been to other places and that and you mentioned your partner uh, kevin mcgrath of course spend the summers in ireland um Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the yeah tell us a little bit about the contrast first off as i mentioned uh you know being in arizona very dry uh certainly a lovely area don't get me wrong i've been uh through that area a number of times but uh certainly a, a great contrast what was your thought when you first went over to Ireland and you saw the, you know, just the, the beauty in that? What did you say to yourself? What was the first thoughts that went through your mind? And obviously that has propelled you now to spend so much time over there playing golf and, and other things. But what was the first thought when you went over there and saw the contrast between where you are now in, in Arizona to uh, Ireland? What was the thoughts? Well, actually, the first thoughts were, oh, my God, I'm living here. And it's so different from just visiting for a week or two. And that is actually when I started writing short stories. And I thought, Taba, you have got to focus on everything that is beautiful and different from living in America, um, not just living in a living in a desert. I'm from Washington, D.C. originally, where it's right. know, hot, sticky, muggy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> right. Everything, every little thing, whether it was um, the flowers, the bushes, the the birds, whatever it was, um, here I, I was in this rural area. We're by, by the water's edge on the Scanner Bay. We can just look out the window and see the dunes of Lahinch to the left, and then we can look out to the right, and there's the Atlantic Ocean. So mm. you've got so much... Um, beauty and contrast, but I was out walking every day, and I would see something that truly amazed me. I was going up to a little um, shop at the, the the gas station, the petrol station, and on the corner was a pony in, in just a little field, a pony. I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> I was just fascinated by every little thing little thing and big thing so i decided to start writing about it you know people don't unless they've been there don't really appreciate the differences and not just the landscape and that but in the game itself i mean you know here traditionally in in america most of the golf courses um play what i call and this is i guess the best way i could describe it a nicholas style uh game where very high soft landing shots courses are designed in the greens but over there um you know most of the european players um that play whether it's in ireland scotland that tend to hit much lower shots with more run and things like that it's a much different game is it not than what you typically would play here not to say that we don't have courses similar 
here in the United States now, but typically the way we play here in the U.S., the style of play, I guess the way I'm looking at it, compared to what you've experienced in places like Ireland, Scotland, and, and, and others, would you agree with that, that it is a much different way that we play the game? 100%, Ted. Um, I, you know, what, what, what we play uh, across the pond is mostly links golf, and right. you know Kevin and I were you know we're also um golf tour operators so a lot of our clients you know when mm-hmm. they're coming over to Scotland Ireland wherever else they're going they want to play Lynx golf and it's a totally different experience like you said you are definitely um using the ground more you right. uh you're really um it's I- it's ideal it's a great asset if you can hit that bump and run shot and I even will putt from, you know, you could be 50 yards off the green and putt. Right. And it turns out to yep. be a better shot. You can you can get it closer than, a, if you're not great at pitching, which I'm not, but I'm, I'm pretty good at putting, even from way, way off the green. So you have, I feel like you have a lot of options when you're playing mm-hmm. Lynx golf. And it's just, it's magical. Uh, you know, you don't have so many trees, you you don't have the same kind of um, landscape or grass, and so you, you sort of learn to adapt to, you know, what you're feeling, what your feet are feeling, what you're seeing, the wind, and it's just, uh, and that's another reason why, you know, if you do keep your shots lower, um, it's great because then you can hit a, not that I can do it, but my partner can, you can hit a low boring shot into the wind, keep it low, and oh my gosh. And then you get a lot of roll, typically because the courses are drier. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I used to joke with some of uh, my students over the years who who played like that, not intentionally, but just the way they played. They couldn't hit it very high and struggled. I said, you'd be a great Lynx player. You're not so good over here, but you should maybe consider taking a trip um, you know, over to somewhere like Scotland or Ireland, and and uh, you probably fare much better. Um, and coincidentally enough, many of them did so, and and came back hmm. with a very similar uh, result. Uh, so you, you mentioned also, uh, you know, that you uh, do golf tours and and things like that. When did that start? Has that something that you've done in just recent years, or is that something you've been doing for a while as as well? Well, I I got into that. Um, end of the business back in 2005 I had the um I had the privilege of being introduced to golf in Scotland by a Scot and I really just was thrilled with that whole magical experience um when our relationship uh sort of changed and I realized, oh my gosh, I really loved going over there, but if I was going to go by myself, how was I going to do that? Uh, Where was I going to get the money? And I decided to launch my own travel venture. And I had this very sophisticated business plan. Number one, I was going to use only five-star resorts, which I love. And number two, I was going to get a partner who knew the lay of the land. And that person turned out to be Kevin McGrath, who's Mm -hmm. Irish, born in Dublin, and he was already doing that, so we formed a business partnership, and um, now we're life partners, but it right. was perfect because, you know, I was coming at it from the from the female point of view. I saw all these mm-hmm. guys, you know, groups of four, eight, twelve, big groups, and they're having a blast. They were having so oh, much yeah. fun, and I thought, oh, if women only knew how much fun it is, you know, to come abroad, play Lynx golf, have all these different cultural experiences. And I thought, well, gee, I could be the one. And at the time, I was the only one who was um, marketing to women. But then they would always say, oh, i got to talk to my husband about this. So I, <laughs> it turned out a lot of my clients were couples, um, and they still are. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. You know, it's interesting because over the last, I would say, good solid decade, there have been a lot of women coming to the game. And I, for one, am very 
very excited about that. That's why, you know, as I mentioned, I have another show that I do Thursday nights called Golf Talk Live. And that show I actually started 11 years ago. And the end of that first year, I said, you know what, I want to do a show dedicated specifically to help foster women's uh, growth in the game, not just from a professional level like earlier uh, guests, but women like yourself who are involved in, in other ways. Um, so I started the Women of Golf, and then um, Cindy was actually uh, supposed to be just a guest, and she decided that she wanted to come and co-host with me, and uh, we've been doing this for 10 years now. So, um, And, and it, it's very refreshing to see, and there's still a long way to go, but how many women have come to the game at various levels, not just professional and not just um, – you know, even casual, but just going out there and having a good time. And uh, I think it's great that you uh, are offering them an avenue to have a wholly different experience that they've never had before. And uh, you know what? Leave the husbands at home and just go and get with a group of your, you know, your lady friends and, and go. And, um, and I always say one last point I'm going to make, and then I'm going to uh, ask you something else. But is I always say to women, because I've had a number over the years that have, uh, I mainly do corporate uh, teaching, but um, I've always said, never, ever, ever ask your husband for golf advice. Go and go to a professional. And husbands, never, ever try to teach your wife how to play this game. Let them learn themselves through a professional because that's the quickest way to the divorce court is to try and help them uh, because they just they just don't. You know, it just does not work. It's never the twain should now play together, but just don't try mm-hmm. to teach one another. But um, now you obviously write a lot of stories, a lot of books and things like that. Give us just a general sense of what are some of the things that you like to write about? Are you just typically writing about the experiences of the game? Um, a lot of obviously about courses and that as well. Give us a sort of a general flavor of the type of writing, uh, you know, golf related that you like to do. Well, when I first started writing, I did the, the first book, and I didn't even know I was writing a book. It turned out I wrote sixty over sixty stories my my first full summer in 2010. I went, oh my god, I got enough to make a book. So um, out of those sixty stories, only seventeen were about golf, and I kept on writing and found, oh gosh, now I have enough stories to make a whole golf book. So like. Um, even though my terroir of golf is coming out next month, the one that's probably the most popular now is called Golfers. Scotland is Calling. And those are stories about just playing in Scotland. So I would write about things like at Prestwick, you know, that's the birthplace of the Open. And there's just so much history there besides the actual course itself. And then that, there's a, there's a, a new story in that book, new as of a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, <laughs> about Askernish, right. which is <laughs> on a remote Hebridean island um, on South Uist. And, I mean, it's a badge of honor just to get there. But it was a course that mm-hmm. was thought to be lost, and now it's found, designed by old Tom Morris back in the 1890s. So, you know, I write about the history, and, you know, once you find out you know, oh, well, who was born here? Who came from here? Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that I wrote about, and it doesn't sound like it's tied to golf, but it is, it has kind of a golf twist, is um, the Battle of Culloden, which took place in 1746 in the Highlands. And I was playing at and staying at Castle Stewart, which uh, mm. it's just a great experience. And they they, there's a farm. There's a farmhouse that they converted into rather nice um, suites, and I was staying there and thinking, "Golly, I'd really like to go to that new um, visitor center over at the battlefield." I got my wish. I got to go, and while I was out taking the tour, I was absolutely fascinated by our tour guide who told us all kinds of things about the battle on the day, what was the weather, and, you know, how did the, you know, actually the name of that story is called Thin Red Line, because the um, the English or government um, forces were all wearing red coats. And, of course, right. the Highlanders were wearing kilts. And so, you know, I I <laughs> just... That whole story, and then I thought, well, how does this compare to our Civil War, for instance? What battle would be 
you know, the most similar, fought in one day, how many died. So I go off on these tangents. <laughs> and that's, and that's, I don't know if I'm giving you the flavor, but I don't just write about golf. No. But it, it turned out right. that the golf twist at the end was John Rattray, the the sole signatory of the original 13 rules of golf, which um, used to reside at Muirfield. He was um, a surgeon, but he was also a golfer, and uh, he was he, he was um, he was jailed. <laughs> he got in jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail. You know, but the person who signed the original 13 rules of golf—that's who he was. Oh wow. Very interesting. So a, lot, a little of everything, not just about the game itself, but a lot about the history mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. so forth. And uh, and I know that a lot of your, um, especially a lot of your earlier pieces as well, were published in through the Golf Heritage Society through their um, uh, publication and, and so forth. And obviously you're doing your own. Um, very, very interesting. Where can people go? Is there a website that people can go to learn not only more about yourself? How can they reach out if they want to contact you? And where can they go to find uh, some of the books that you've written, um, what's the best way that they can go about uh, getting in touch with that? Well, thank you for asking. Um, my primary golf website is scottsdalecollection.com. So there's a lot of information there about trips and um, myself and Kevin, our, you know, our, our bi- biographies, mm-hmm. lots of testimonials, scottsdalecollection.com. I have another website, my author website, which is called Claire House Publishing. And Claire, it's C-L-A-R-E, Claire as in County Claire, Claire House Publishing. So a mm-hmm. lot of my stories are there. And the most recent uh, two are about playing in New Zealand. So even though it's on my author publishing site, these past two stories are um, 100% about golf. But, of course, as I say, I go off on my tangents, and one of them is um, wine, <laughs> wineries, <laughs> wine mm-hmm, tasting. Of course. And that's, that's Terwell of Golf. Actually, the subtitle is a golf book for wine lovers. So I'm exploring the whole synergy between golf and wine, and there's a lot of it. Um, when you think about it, as, as I say, mm-hmm. my premise was, as with grapes, so with golf, everything begins with the ground. And as with right. wine and golf courses, the end result is a living work of art. And then I make that full circle because I come back to golf courses as works of art. I think you may have coined the phrase wine and nine. Um, I always no, wondered where that me. came from. It may have come from <laughs> <laughs> come from some of your things. Well, no, Tabe, I want to thank you. I, I... <laughs> it's actually Debbie no, Waitkiss. I think it's Debbie Waitkiss. Yes. And, and she's based here yes. in, in um, Phoenix as well. I know her very well. I've interviewed her many, many times on the show, and she's a great, uh, great individual and, and great professional. Well, Tabe, I, I hate to say this, but unfortunately, um, we're out of time. I would love to have you come back on again. I know there's so many other things that and stories that you could share with us, uh, and I will definitely uh, make arrangements um, to have you come back on. And maybe actually, what I might do is, uh, if you're up for it, is have you come back on a little bit later on in the season on my other show, Golf Talk Live. We'll have a little bit more time that'll be uh, an hour long that you can come on and and talk about all kinds of things and get into more about your books. But um, uh, very, very interesting conversation, what we had this morning, and I appreciate you taking time this morning and coming on and spending some time with me here on on the Women of Golf. It's been a pleasure. Ted, I'm so honored. Thank you so much. I would love to come on again and do your other show or any show you want me on. I'm your girl. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Pleasure. I will make the arrangements for sure. Thank you, and have Thank a great you. day, and uh, I look you. forward to speaking to you again. All right, bye-bye. All righty. That was uh, Tava Dale, and she is, as I mentioned, uh, an author, writer, and board member at the Golf Heritage Society, and uh, you can find on the website she mentioned all of her great work. Um, I will definitely endeavor to have her come back on. We ran a little bit over time, uh, but a very interesting conversation, and also uh, special congratulations once again to Miranda Wang, uh, winner of the 2023 Epson Tours Iowa Championship, and she's in, uh, I believe she said, Tucson, Arizona, today, uh, getting ready for the next Epson Tour event. So good luck to her this week. Um, on that note, thank you for joining me this morning on the Women of Golf. God bless everybody, and I'll see you next week right here on the Women of Golf Show. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.